I've got cancer. We lost the baby. My dad said I'd never make it. I feel so hopeless. My wife just left my kids. I can't win. The doctor says there's no cure. I just want out. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Awesome. Listen, this has grown here. When I came in, there wasn't nearly as many many people here. This is awesome. Hey, welcome to JFC. I want to welcome every campus. I want to welcome our Highlands Ranch. I want to welcome our Castle Rock. And I want to welcome our Lakewood campus, as well as those of you that are here at Lone Tree. Hey, listen. So you guys have heard about Lakewood, right? right? This is actually their first weekend with video. So what we're going to do at every campus is we're actually going to give them an all-JFC shout-out. And at this campus, since we have the cameras, we're actually going to look back at the camera here. And so on the count of three, don't do it before, on the count of three, we're going to look back at that camera, and we're going to give them a shout-out and welcome them in anticipation for next week, the grand opening. So on the count of three, every campus, we're going to give them a shout-out. On the count of three, one, two, three. That's right. All right. So whichever campus you're, you're joining us from, we are so glad and honored to have you here with us this weekend. My name is Jonathan Murley, and I'm the Global Missions Pastor here at JFC. And we are continuing on with our series in, uh, called Pitfalls with the discussion on depression. Okay? That's a very, very common pitfall that some of us find ourselves in. Before we do get into the, the message, though, I'd ask Pastor John. I said, hey, Pastor John. I said, I... I get the microphone, so can I have some time to talk about missions? And he said, yes, of course. So we are actually going to talk uh, just a little bit about missions before we get into the service today. Uh, you know, in the last six months, we have actually had either teams or myself have been in six different countries. Six different countries. And we've had so many good things. Actually, seven if you include a team that we took to Kona, Hawaii. And so missions at JFC is just booming. And so what I wanted to do is just show you a few images of, uh, of the last six months in the area of missions. Of course, last week we had our missions moment with our missionaries from, from Mozambique, and that was just terrific. If you didn't get a chance to see that, certainly do go back to the website. But if we can show that quick video, and I think you'll enjoy this. God of justice, to all. Came to rescue the weak and the poor Chose to serve and not be served Jesus, you have called
so many good memories. You know, those kids, the last uh, from Peru, that's our orphanage. That's JFC's orphanage. And those kids are so awesome, so precious. You know, we've had such a terrific time. And in the next couple of months, we actually have three mission trips that are going out. We have two of our Red Student Ministries trips that are going out. The first one is going to work with Bob and Kathleen Gableman down in Mexico. And we have junior hires. We have 14 junior hires. And I get to go and spend every day with them. All right, so pray for me. I need, I need your prayers on this. I'm, I'm not necessarily called to junior high ministry. And then we have 28 senior hires that are going to the island nation of the Dominican Republic. And we're going to spend time with our missionaries there, uh, Rodney and Rhoda Skephart. And so we're really excited about that. We're going to be doing some drama, some evangelism, and just some really cool stuff. And then we also have a trip that we've taken for several years to Puerto Vallarta. We're taking 42 people to Puerto Vallarta. And so we're just excited about that. And then I'm excited to announce two upcoming mission trips. If, uh, if you were on Facebook this week or saw any information, we have actually a young adults mission trip that we are putting together uh, that we're going to leave. And uh, we're actually going to leave on December 26th and go down to Costa Rica. Anybody want to do New Year's? Any young adult that want to do New Year's in, uh, in Central America? And so we're actually going to have uh, a, an informational meeting where you can find out the cost and you can find out all the information, that we're, all the things that we're going to be doing. And that's going to be on May 20th at 3 p.m. here at this campus. So if you, have, if you have a young adult, if you are a young adult, anywhere between the ages of 18 to 30, I want to invite you to come out and find out more information. Really, the vision for this is, do you want to do something for eternity that impacts people? 
over your Christmas break. And it's an awesome time. You know, many people get that time off for, uh, for, for Christmas, for a Christmas break. So uh, that's uh, a trip that we're really excited about. And then I'm also excited. Many of you know that I have uh, a clinical background. I'm a nurse by, by training. And then May of 2013, we're going to have uh, a medical mission trip to the African nation of Kenya. So the last two weeks of, of uh, May of 2013, we're going to have a medical mission trip to Kenya. So we're excited about that, and you'll actually hear some more information about our informational uh, meeting that we'll have in the coming weeks and months on that. Okay, enough about that. Um, there are a couple of ways to keep in touch with what's going on with missions, and there should be a slide in back of me. The first way is Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. We have this awesome new website. If you haven't gone to the website, jfc.org, go to the website, and you can see uh, information about that, and then you can always email me uh, and find that information there too. Okay, so let's jump into the message of, of pitfalls with a discussion on depression. And before I do that, would you join with me and pray? Um, I need God's help to communicate everything there is to, to do in this message. So join with me if you would. Lord, I thank you that you are here in this place. Lord, I thank you that you are here. Lord, your word is to heal, to encourage, and to strengthen and so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use my words to, to heal and to strengthen and encourage at every campus, at every campus for anybody who's even listening to this message later on. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and heal them in the name of Jesus by your power. And Lord, I thank you that you feel so strongly about us. And I pray that we would know that. We would know that in our hearts, not just our minds. And we love you in Jesus' name. All right, so depression is a fairly common pit. Would you not agree? Okay. Um, you know, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would suspect that most of you have in some way been touched by depression, whether it's yourself, whether it's a family member, whether it's a coworker, or whether it's a friend. Statistically speaking, 15 to 20% of the population will encounter depression in, uh, in any given year. So it's very, very common. Okay. But it's also important to know that no one message of 40 minutes in length can cover all the range of issues that are going to be uh, in depression. I mean, people go to school for years. People get PhDs. They write books about this thing. But I do believe that today at every campus that we can find some traction on a few key issues in the area of depression. Amen? Amen. You know, if you want to impress someone, tell them about your wins, tell them about your successes. Right, plenty, of, plenty of us do that. If you're in the corporate world, you go to meetings and you hear all about people's successes and how they're, how they're beating their competition. But if you want to impress somebody, if you want to impact somebody, tell them about your struggles and tell them about your challenges. And if you would allow me to talk to you for just a few minutes about my challenges and my struggles with depression... Is that agreeable to everybody at every campus? Is that agreeable? Is that all right? Because I'm going to anyways. I mean, it's in my notes, so all right. We know that there's nothing new under the sun, okay? Depression hasn't come along in the last 20 or 30 years or since industrialization. Psalm 4211 says this, Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. That sounds like depression, doesn't it? Crying the blues. It's, uh, it's been around for a long time. So here's my story. I struggled with depression for 
four or five years, probably some of the most important years of my life. I struggled with depression my last year of high school and my college years. And the reality is I loved God. I had actually been on a mission trip. I went on my first mission trip when I was 16 years old. And I started struggling with depression after that. I loved God. I went to youth group. I had given my life fully to God. But I still struggled with depression. If you were to ask me, why did you struggle? What are the, the reasons why? I'd say it probably came from many different reasons. The first reason is I, uh, I tend towards perfectionism. Okay? You know, I think God has given us each unique qualities and characteristics. You know, some of you, he's given the ability to really socially connect with people and make them feel comfortable. For some of you, he's, he's given you the ability to direct and to tell people what to do and to get things done. And some of us, he's given us the ability to see a goal in the future and to be detail-oriented and make plans around that. And that's how I tend to be. I like excellence. I like doing things well. I like doing things well the first time. But taken to an unhealthy extreme, that can be perfectionism. Is there anybody out there that's like that? Anybody, please tell me I'm not up here alone (laughs) telling the world I'm a perfectionist. Okay, recovering perfectionist, that is. All right, so um, in 1984, I was 11 years old, and I watched the the Los Angeles Olympics. Uh, And I said to myself, that is awesome. I said, I'm going to go to the Olympics, and I'm going to win the gold medal. I was 11 years old, and I said this. And so I started pouring myself into the training and preparation that goes along with getting to a place like that. And I actually achieved a certain level of success. I trained at the Olympic Training Center. Many of my teammates actually went on to compete in the Tour de France. One of my teammates actually got third in the 1998 Tour de France. But the reality was, is I didn't get there. I didn't have the physical capabilities to, to get there. And for a perfectionist, even a young, a young perfectionist, it was devastating. It was devastating not to achieve my goals. I also think during this time, uh, I was physically maturing, you know, going through puberty and those types of things. And I was just pouring myself into this training. And I think physiologically, there was something that happened. Now, we have a, my family has a history of, of, uh, of mental illness, even, even back great-grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers. And, and so I have a family history of depression. But I think there was something physiologically that got out of whack during this time. And there are chemical imbalances that happen when somebody is going through depression. But the reality is, is that we all have an enemy of our souls who wants to kill, steal, and destroy from us. Would you agree with that? It's not just a figure of speech. We have a literal enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy from us. And when I was 16, I went on a mission trip. And God radically, amazingly changed my life. And the enemy knew that. He knew that I had a vision and purpose for my life. You know, when somebody is 15, 16, 17, even in their 20s, they're trying to figure out what they're made for. That's why I'm so excited about this young adult's mission trip. Because the enemy knew that I had a vision and a purpose for my life. And yet he tried to wipe me out at my own hands. I really struggled when I came back from that trip. 
for months, maybe even a year, I was so, I, I can't tell you how down in the dumps I was. And one day, when I came home from school, my mom was waiting for me. And she had seen my struggle and my pain. And she said, Jonathan, I'm going to take you and get you some help. And that day, that day my mom took me to a hospital and admitted me to a hospital so I could get some help. The truth is, the truth is that day my mom saved my life. She saved my life. And mom, I'm forever grateful. We have a Savior, though, who is acquainted with our griefs, with our challenges, and our struggles. Amen? Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this. This high priest of ours, speaking of Jesus, he understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. You know, when you are at the bottom, when you're at the bottom of the barrel, that is when we need help the most. We see here from Scripture that we have a Savior who wants to help us. Sorry. You know, when we go to Israel, we go to just so many amazing places. It's, it really is a terrific trip. We're not going to go there in 2012, but we'll go in 2013. But we go to a place where Jesus historically spent his last night. And it's the church in Jerusalem called uh, Church of St. Peter in Galicantu. And we spend some time uh, in this prison where, where Jesus spent his last night. And it's actually, it's, it's a prison, but it's not like the prison that we see in the TV or movies. You know, it's not, a, it's not got a bed or a, a toilet and, you know, bars that they can hang out and talk to each other and, and shoot the breeze. No, this prison is actually a pit. It's a deep pit. And the only way in or out of this pit is to be lowered down or to raised out. There's no way out. It's not a pit that's actually built out of stone where you could maybe get a little bit of a, a handhold into a, in a groove. It's a smooth pit hewn out of stone. And the reality is, is there is no way out of this pit. And so we go down to it. They've built stairs down to it. And we read scripture. And for a brief moment in time, we get a feeling what it was like for Jesus on his last night. We turn the lights off and it's dark. It's isolated. It's desperate. And we get a moment in time to see how Jesus felt. It actually says in Scripture that he felt abandoned for a very short period of time by his Father in heaven so that we wouldn't have to feel that abandonment. So we go down and we read Scripture, and it's an amazing place. But here is the good news for us. Jesus didn't stay down in that pit. He didn't stay on the cross and he didn't even stay in, stay in the tomb. He was raised for us so we wouldn't have to experience isolation from our Heavenly Father. That's awesome. That's an awesome thing. And we can feel like how Jesus felt in that, in that pit sometimes. But the good news is that hope and help is near to us. 
Hope and help is near to us, and his name is Jesus. That's good news. That's good news for us. Let's transition and read a scripture that I think is one of the most hope-laden scriptures in the Bible. It's Romans 8, 28. It says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who, who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is awesome news, that God uses everything. It doesn't say he uses most things, does it? It says he uses everything. What is everything? It's everything. It's the whole enchilada. You know, it's, it's everything. And the sauce too. It's everything that we experience in our life. It's our successes. It's our wins. It's our failures. And it's that thing that you don't dare tell anybody that's happened to you in your life. He uses everything for good in our lives. At our campuses, if you've experienced something so heartbreaking, God will use that. He will use that thing, that very thing, to crush the head of the enemy. You know, I put in your notes that my confidence in God is with me because of the pit of depression. Because of the pit of depression I experienced, I have the strongest confidence, it can't be shaken, that God is with me. You know, that day that my mom took me to the hospital, I was at my lowest point. And she took me to a hospital. It was a mental hospital. It was a, it was a mental hospital. I got admitted to that. And they began to, you know, have me go through things. And one of the things that they had me go through was to write in, write in a journal, kind of write my feelings and, and thoughts out in a journal. Anybody ever done that? As, just as a side note, it's not in my notes, but... I think that's actually a very valuable activity. You know, whether you have depression, whether you have pain, whatever, if you're in a pit or whether you're the happiest person in the world, I think that writing in a journal can be incredibly beneficial. I think you can look back, even the song that we sang, we can encourage ourselves with those things. So write in a journal. Encourage yourself. Look at your goals. Look at where you've been. Look at where you're going. It's an amazing thing. So I'm, I'm writing these things. I'm writing these thoughts and feelings in, in this journal. And I'm actually really, really angry at God. I mean, I'm, I'm mad. I'm using choice four-letter language at God. I, I felt, I actually felt abandoned because I loved him. How could I go through this? But yet, go on missions and, and have given my life fully and completely to God. I was angry. Tears stained the pages of my journal. And I am pouring myself out in this thing and, and, and weeping. And I'm emotionally spent. I mean, I am physically tired from emptying myself of this. And an amazing thing happened. I'm sitting there. I'm writing my thoughts out. And as clearly and surely as I'm talking to you today, God spoke these words. He said, Jonathan, I will never, ever, ever leave you. I haven't given up on you. I will never, ever leave you. I haven't given up on you. You know, those words, that was a game changer for me. That was a game changer. Last week, Pastor John used a great illustration of when the lies that we believe 
begin to be torn down, that that can actually be the rubble that we use to climb out of the pit. You guys remember that? At the campuses, do you remember that? That was a good illustration. That was the first rock in my pit that fell out that I began to climb out of. So I began to, um, I began to take medication. I took antidepressant medication. I did get counseling. And I began to make a normal life for myself. I would say I still had the embers of depression glowing. But I began to make a normal life for myself. Actually, I told you when I was 16, I felt called to go into missions. I ended up going into missions. I began to pursue those things that I felt God had called me to. All the while still having this kind of little, little thing glowing. Little embers of depression glowing. But because of my movement, because of pursuing something, it actually kept the depression at bay. Okay? And there's a little, little nugget of wisdom that sometimes that you just need to get going. Sometimes you just need to start doing something. I felt God called me into missions, okay? But sometimes you're at your lowest point and you can't hear God. God is actually speaking to you. But sometimes we can't always tap into that. But I would say that get moving and do something because that will actually keep depression or whatever pit you're in at bay. And that does lead me to my second point, and it's this. Get moving and find purpose even if you don't feel like it. Get moving and find purpose even if you don't feel like it. Because sometimes the feelings are so far away. But if you get moving and find something and do it, it will help you. I'm going to read in 2 Samuel, and this is the story of where King David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And from this scripture, we can see what happens when someone isn't where they need to be, both literally and figuratively in their life. Would you turn with me? Campuses, would you turn to 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5? It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I am pregnant. Not a good day. Not a good day for King David. Now, it's my opinion, and I will label it as such, but I think that King David at this time was experiencing some sort of depression. All right, it's my opinion. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it as that. But look at verse 2. You know, when you're depressed, when you're really not in the place that you should be, it says that in the midday when he got up from his nap. You know, when you're depressed, your sleeping patterns are kind of messed up. And so I think that he was at least 
depressed at some level and not where he should be. I put in your notes that sin can be a vicious cycle that keeps one in depression. I want to clarify this. Unconfessed sin can keep one in a vicious cycle of depression or whatever pit that is. Here's what I mean. So David is already in the dumps. He's already kind of, you know, whatever's going on. He's not where he needs to be both physically. He should be out in the battlefields. He should be with his armies. And he's not where he needs to be in his mind and his heart. And he sees Bathsheba. He lusts after her and he commits sin. And then she gets pregnant. But then he doesn't end there. He tries to cover it up. He brings Uriah back from the battlefields. And he says, kind of like a, you know, a little, little hiatus. But what does Uriah do? He says, how can I take comfort in my wife when my brothers are out in battle? And he refuses to sleep with her. He sleeps in the doorway. So David says, well, that plan didn't work out. So what does he do? He sends him back to the front lines of battle where he has a guaranteed death wish. And he gets into this vicious cycle that could have led to his downfall except for one thing. He humbles himself and he cries out to God for forgiveness. You remember when Pastor John has talked about the three pits that we can get into. The pit that we fall into, the pit that we get pushed into, and then there's the pit that we know full well what we are doing yet we still jump in. And David's story is one that is one that he jumps in full well knowing what he's doing. But he doesn't just jump in once. He doesn't just jump in twice. He jumps in three times to this pit knowing what he's doing. But he humbles himself and he asks God for forgiveness. And here's the lie though. For those pits that we jump into knowing what we're doing, The lie is that you can't be forgiven because you knew what you were doing. But here's truth for you. Here's truth for everyone at every campus or whether you're watching us later on down the road. The truth is that Jesus died for every sin, not just the clean ones. He died for every sin. He died for the dirtiest of dirty sins that you don't want to tell anybody. He died for every sin not just a few of them. When you grasp this truth, and my prayer for you is that you grasp this truth, and when you do, it will set you free. It'll set you free. You know, one of the traps of the enemy for us when we're in a pit is to keep us looking inward and to keep us from looking up and looking out. So if you find yourself in a pit, if you find yourself in a pit of depression, get moving, even if the feelings aren't there yet. Movement is like water poured on the fire and poured on the embers of depression. Find something productive, even if you don't quite know what you were meant for. Find something productive to pour yourself into. I know this. We used to say in sales, fake it till you make it, all right? You kind of got to fake it till you make it with this. Find something to pour yourself into, and the feelings will come, okay? You'll be getting to hear from God. It'll be an amazing thing that happens. 
This is one of the keys to getting out of the, the pit of depression. This does bring me to my last point. And it leads me to the one that I felt so strongly when we began to plan this series two months ago. You know, we, we, we get as, together as a teaching team and we plan out our series and we begin to ask God, God, how would you lead us to, to go? And we, we really do. We bathe these things in prayer. And then we begin to just brainstorm and, and kind of have this, uh, this brain dump session. And the second we wrote down depression, my heart starts beating really, really fast. And I knew, I got, I got to do this. This is mine. This is my message. But right after that, God spoke these words to me. And these are for you. These are for you today. These are for you at every campus. That God wants to heal and he wants to encourage and he wants to strengthen you. Whatever pit that you're in, God wants to heal, strengthen, and encourage you today. 1 Peter 2.24 says this about us and about Christ. It said, Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross so we would, so we would stop living for sin and start living for what is right. And you are healed because of his wounds. So God ultimately wants to heal you. God ultimately wants to heal you. Can I teach you about healing, though? Healing can take on various forms. Have you ever heard this story? You probably have, but humor me like you haven't before. A man is sitting on his porch as the floodwaters rise, and a woman floats by in a boat, and she asks the man if he needs help. No, thank you, says the man. I'm trusting in the Lord. The waters rise higher, sending the man upstairs. A raft full of people floats by his second-story window. Get in, they yell. We have plenty of room. No, thank you. I'm trusting in the Lord. The floodwaters keep rising, pushing the man up to the roof. And a helicopter swoops in, lowering its ladder for the man. Thanks anyway, he shouts. I'm trusting in the Lord. Finally, the man is swept away in the torrent and drowns. At the gates of heaven, the man asks, God, why didn't you save me? What do you mean, replies God. I sent two boats and a helicopter to save you. Right? So what's your point? All right, here's my point. My point is that God uses many things both spiritually and physically, for our healing. There is significant benefit when exercise, healthy relationships, counseling, treatment are used either alone or in conjunction with each other when we're seeking God for wisdom on how to get out of our pits. I want to say a quick word about how some Christians, particularly religious Christians, view getting treatment or going to counseling, or anything else that has to do with help except for prayer and fasting. I mentioned to you that for a few years I took medication. I took antidepressant medication. And I have to be honest with you. I felt ashamed of that. I felt ashamed because I thought that I wasn't a strong enough Christian to pray hard enough. I wasn't spiritual enough to, to get out of this with just God's help. And a very wise man 
Most of us would call him Pastor John. (laughs) He ministered grace and mercy to me. He said, Jonathan, if this is helping you, which it was, maybe this is God's plan for you. And it set me free. It set me free from that stigma and that shame that I felt because I was taking medication. I do want to rightly divide this, though. Prayer and fasting may be exactly what is needed in your case. And I would say that any, any pit that you're in, prayer and fasting, you probably don't need to pray too much about, hey, do I need to pray and fast? I think it's probably something that you should do. But to say that this is the only way out of the pit would be a mistake. Even in Mark 9, it does say when the disciples were trying to cast out a demon unsuccessfully, Jesus said, this kind only comes out with prayer. But to say that only prayer and fasting is the only way to get out of the pit of depression, and it's the only way to get out of the pit of pain, this wouldn't be accurate. You know, there's a connection between our spirit, soul, and body. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the whole person, these three parts, are inextricably linked. This means they can't be separated from each other. Here's what I mean. Have you ever talked to somebody who has chronic pain? Have you yourself had chronic pain? In any of our campuses, chronic pain frequently is accompanied with depression. Pain management specialists all around the world will most often prescribe antidepressants and pain medication together for somebody who has chronic pain because these two issues frequently go hand in hand. All right, you say, okay, Jonathan, that's chronic pain. That's for somebody who's been in an accident. Let me, let me bring it home just a little bit more. Have you ever just been really, really tired? I mean, just utterly tired. And you try and pray and read your Bible or even come to church. You may be here today and you're like, I, I can't focus on what this guy's saying. It's because you're tired. So these things are inextricably linked together. When you are tired, it's hard for you to focus in, hear from God, pray, read, those types of things. I love the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah has just produced what I think is actually one of the greatest displays of God's power. He's just called down a fire from heaven. He's shown Israel that the God that he serves is the one and true God. Then he's gone out to kill the 450 prophets of Baal. And then the Bible records that he he tucks in his cloak and he runs faster than King Ahab's chariot. God gives him the strength to do that. But then he gets word from Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, and it says this. He says, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And what happens to Elijah? He gets scared. He gets desperate. And what does he do? He runs away. He runs far away. And he gets so exhausted from running that he lies down under a broom tree. And he says, God, I don't want to do this anymore. He actually says, kill me. Take my life. He's very desperate. But he lies down under this tree. He sleeps. And he gets a good night's rest. And the scriptures record that an angel touches him 
and then he makes a nice meal for him. I wonder what that nice meal that the angel made was. I don't know, steak, who knows what that might have been. So he eats, he gets a good meal, and he sleeps again, and the angel touches him and has made another meal, two in a row. That's pretty good. And then the Bible says that he has the strength to move forward with the battles that he needed to face. There's a little nugget here for you. Whether you face depression, whether you have pain, or whether you're on top of your game, and that nugget is this. That rest and proper nutrition can actually be one of your biggest weapons in the battles that you face. Many of you know that I was in a, in a corporate job before I started here at JFC. And I was preparing for a meeting, uh, one of the most important meetings that we had. And I was working, I had worked probably 20 hours a day for several weeks. And I was leaving the office utterly exhausted. And an executive was leaving the office at the same time. He says, Jonathan, you look horrible. I said, Mark, I'm, t- I'm, I'm exhausted. And he said, I'm ordering you to take some time off tomorrow. And he says, go get a good, good meal and then get some rest and come back because rest and nutrition is your weapon in this battle that you face. It's good advice, wasn't it? This is a little nugget. Whether you face any pit, get good, good rest, get n- good nutrition. And that is one of your biggest weapons in this battle. I want to say a word about suicide. If you or someone you love is suicidal, get help and get help immediately. That day that my mom helped me, she saved my life. Help them to get out. Sometimes we need someone else to help us get out of the pit that we're in. So help them to get some help. You may be the one that God wants to use. You may actually be the very one that God wants to use to save somebody's life, just like my mom did 23 years ago. So how do we close this message I want to invite our worship teams up at every campus. And I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me. And as you're standing, close your eyes and bow your head, if you would. As I was preparing for this message, the word of the Lord to you, whichever campus wherever you're listening from, the word to you today is that God is here today to heal, to encourage, and to strengthen you. So close your eyes and bow your head with me. You know, I'm not going to show, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if you find yourself in a pit today, whether that pit is pain, depression, unconfessed sin, God is here to heal you, to strengthen you, and to encourage you. Because of the, of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, you can be free 
of the chains of sin. Because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, you can get out of the pit. He is near to us. And for some of you, God wants to just reach out his hand. He wants to gently put his hands on your cheek and look you in the eyes and tell you that he hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. And in fact, this very pit that you are in, he means this for good in your life. I know it doesn't feel like it. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says that he has good plans for your life. But it also says, come seek me and I will let you find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you have unconfessed sin, give your sin to God, but also give him your entire life. So Lord, I just, Lord, I thank you that you are here to heal and to encourage and to strengthen. At each campus here today, you are here to heal and strengthen and encourage. So Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the work, Jesus, that you did on the cross, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal that you would heal individuals, that you would heal families, that you would heal young people who struggle with depression. In the name of Jesus, I speak that that would be gone and replaced with joy, unspeakable joy. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom on what we should do, both physically and spiritually, and how to get out of these pits that we find ourselves in. You know, this wasn't a salvation message. But if you say you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, I want to pray with you. Because our relationship with Jesus isn't a get out of the pit card. But it's a relationship. It's a relationship that Jesus wants to have with us, that our Father wants to have with us through the work of Jesus. So if you have never asked Jesus into your life, I want to pray with you. If you haven't asked Jesus into your life or you want to recommit your life to him, nobody's looking, would you just look up at me? At every campus, would you just look up? Here's the wonderful thing, that Jesus knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. And it says that we, when we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that we are saved, we will be saved. So if you, if you want to pray this, pray these things. There's nothing magical about my words. There's nothing special about my words. It's just that you have to mean them from your heart. So pray with me if you want to accept Jesus into your life. Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner 
and that I need help. And Jesus, I thank you that you died for me on the cross. You died for my sins. You died for my healing. And I recognize that I am in need of a Savior. So I confess my sins to you. And I ask that you would come into my life and that you would make me a new person. And that every day going forward that you would make me a new person. I want to have a relationship with you. And I thank you. That it is your great delight to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalms 125, 126, 5.